And what is going on, everybody? I'm Eddie Green. This is my podcast, Eddie Green's 101. You are 101ers. That's what I've deemed you. You are the 101ers. And guess what? Today's episode is brought to you by, holy fucking shit, another ad, another dollar. Now, I don't, I'm, I wish I made a dollar for every listen of these ads. They, uh, they don't pay that well, but they do pay. So go back, listen to it. I really, really would appreciate it. Um, you know, I'll do the same thing for you guys. I would. I would do the exact same thing for you guys. So do, do it for me. My, uh, my guest today, my guest, holy shit, this is a fun one. This is a uh, exciting one for me personally because I'm a big fan of this motherfucker. His name is Dave McRae. Yes, he is McRae. <laughs> Dave McRae, one of my favorite YouTubers, one of the best YouTubers out there. He is a professional voice artist. He is a Halloween commentator. He's a movie commentator. He dabbles in entertainment while entertaining masses. He just hit 20,000 subscribers on YouTube. Insane. Incredible. Congratulations, man. And he joins me on, he joins me on the 101. He joins me on my podcast. I thrilled, honored, humbled. He's a phenomenal dude. Very happy to, uh, have the chance to sit down with him for close to two hours and talk to him about success on YouTube and colonoscopies and Bob Saget and somehow that all ties together. And then, of course, his up-and-coming projects, up-and-coming or upcoming, upcoming projects. Just a fun guy. So if you are familiar with Dave McRae, you know what you're you know what you are about to experience. Trust me. And if you don't know Dave McRae, this is going to be a nice little taste, not the full flavor, but the little taste that will hopefully inspire you to go check out his, his YouTube channel. So sit back, relax, and enjoy Dave McRae. Just like that, Dave McCray. How you doing? Good. How are you? I am good. We figured out the uh, the technological side of this whole. Uh, whole... We did. We did. Yes. I just want to make sure that this isn't recording onto my hard drive. Is it just recording onto your phone or my phone as well? It says two people are recording. Yes. Yeah, so this is actually. I think it uh, just sends me at the end. So when we're done recording, it's going to send me the the audio file. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. Okay, cool. All right. Well, if we Perfect. get cut off, we'll know why. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, as long as uh, you have a good cell signal or a, a Wi-Fi signal, we should be perfectly, perfectly fine. All right. Sounds good. So um, you are a incredibly busy individual. And uh, first and foremost, thank you for making some time to, to hop on here. 
Yeah, no problem. My pleasure. The uh, incredibly busy part is incredibly accurate, and um, but I'm glad that we were able to finally connect and uh, and do this. This is going to be fun. Yeah, and uh, I owe a lot to Tony Michael because uh, he was on here previously, and um, I was like, dude, I want to get I want to get you and Dave on because uh, you know I'm a big follower of your work. I uh, I love the consistency of your work. Um, I think that's a big reason why you found, uh, what you're almost at 20,000 subscribers. Uh, I think we just passed it, uh, yesterday. I think somebody informed me yesterday that we had just passed it. So yeah, that's, that, that's kind of cool. Definitely. Fuck. Yeah, dude. That's so good. Oh man. Congratulations. But, um, I reached out to him and I was like, can you try to get in touch with Dave? Because Dave seems like a very, and this is the word I use to Tony Michael, a very trepidatious person. So like, when because i had actually reached out to you um a little while ago and uh it it totally makes sense that you 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 probably get so many invites to do certain things and it's hard in the the day and age we live in to really kind of decipher you know do i want to do this do i not want to do this um so having tony come on i knew would be a really good kind of uh just like a little nice backing point to uh to to try to get you on here so yeah I know a lot you to know, yeah tony's great i mean tony is uh is just top notch professional and insightful and uh you know charismatic and and um he's just so fun to work with and 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 you no know, like when it comes to the the i i do remember uh, you reaching out to me probably it was probably well over a year ago and 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 I and you had asked if I wanted to come on and talk some Terminator and and, and I said yeah for sure and and you know I, I I don't say yeah for sure if I if I don't have the intention to actually do it the problem is is that at the time that I think you reached out to me I was I was so busy and then of course one thing spirals into the next and then I you know and then it sort of it it kind of goes down the ladder and 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 sometimes you know, when you're this busy, it takes that kind of connection that you're talking about to be like, hey, can you get in touch with this person and remind that person that, that, that and it's kind of, oh yeah, that's right. So when Tony reached out to me and said, hey, do you remember Eddie Green? I was like, Eddie Green, Eddie Green, why does that name sound so fucking familiar? <laughs> and then, and then of course uh, he told me, well, he tried to reach out to you before and then I had to go through the archives and I was like, oh Jesus Christ, yes, of course. Tell him <laughs> yes, tell him, you know, we'll definitely do it. And, and um, but, but you know, what you say is, is true. There, there are, I do get a lot of uh, requests and and sometimes, you know, you can't fulfill everybody's uh, request. And it's and it's it's surprising how many uh, people reach out to me. And 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 I love it. I think it's wonderful. Um, but, you know, you, you probably heard me say this a thousand times and it's it's absolutely true. I average, which is not a lot if you're somebody like, you know, Bieber, I'm sure. But if you're somebody like Bieber, <laughs> you're probably not open to getting personal you know, um, messages anyway, but it's funny. I average about 30 messages a day through the many things, Dave McRae Facebook page. And that is from anybody from just saying, Hey man, love your shit. Think you're awesome to people writing diatribes of why I'm a, why I'm wrong, uh, to people, you know, writing things about how they love this, that, and the other. And, you know, when you're receiving about 30 a day on average, I mean, sometimes it might be 20, you know, four, you know, sometimes it might be 38, but on average, it's about 30. 
that it's just not possible to respond to everybody. I mean, ideally, because I'm the kind of per because of the kind of person I am, I love engagement. I love passionate individuals. I love people who are passionate about the same things that I am. And uh, I would I wish I could respond to everybody with the same attention to detail, but it's just not possible. And that's why, you know, I always tell people, if you're going to send me a message, the best probability of me responding are to messages that are short and sweet and to the point, uh, because those are always easier to um, respond to. So uh, but anyway, here we are. It's great that uh, you were able to reach out to Tony and, and uh, yeah, and, and finally that we can uh, we can do this. Fuck yeah. I'm so uh, like, I, I, look, I am, like I said, I'm a big follower of your work and uh, the consistency is something that I love. And uh, you actually took a, a, a similar approach to the way that I wanted to grow the podcast that we're talking on. So when I initially reached out to you, yeah, it was um, the podcast was called Terminator 101. And I did that specifically because I wanted to get uh, the niche audience to find me because when you're doing a podcast about movies there's so many podcasts about movies that it's really hard to get people to even care to check in on you when there's 20,000 other people that have been doing it for 10 plus years right uh, and you did that with your channel very similarly by doing the niche thing and zeroing in on uh, a subgenre in film which is Halloween and right uh, um, were you ever, when you did that, were you ever kind of thinking in the back of your head, uh, what is the longevity of this? Like, do you want to kind of branch out from that? Or do you love being known as the Halloween dude? Uh, it's a good question, you know, and I think we, we have to sort of go back. And um, in 20, I think, I forget what year it was. It was either 20, I think it was 2016, when it was announced that John Carpenter uh, had come on board to uh, executive produce and maybe at the time, maybe uh, score uh, what would become Halloween 2018. And uh, Halloween's been my favorite horror movie of all time. I, it's, it's, um, it's, I love the character of Michael Myers. It's, uh, it's just, it's a, it's a passion. And, um, but I've, you know, I've had my YouTube channel since 2006. I was one of the first ones to, you know, get one when YouTube launched in 2005, I think, but I never did anything with it other than just to upload, you know, experimental, you know, Halloween fan shorts kind of deal. And then when uh, the Halloween train picked up in terms of a new movie and not just any new movie, a new movie that would be uh, in the original timeline, maybe a direct sequel to either part one or part two, we weren't sure where you know, it was going to go. I was really excited and I was talking to my, uh, my friends about it my girlfriend about it, you know, and I was just really passionate about talking about, you know, what, what it could mean. I, you know, and it was my girlfriend that said, you know, you really need to do something with your YouTube channel because as, as a profession, I'm a professional voice actor. That's my day to day job. That's how I make my living. But so the YouTube thing is not, is just sort of a, it's a, it's a, well, it wasn't anything in 2016. Um, and now it's become sort of this side little hobby, which is, which is great. And all the money raised through the channel goes right back into the channel. And, uh, but in 2016, uh, I guess it was the 2016 beginning of 2017, she said, you know, you really gotta, you know, you, you gotta put yourself out there 
and talk to people who really share the same passions, you know, because you have all these insights and things that, you know, and I was like, yeah, I guess, you know, but I mean, other than uploading videos, I really wasn't, um, I didn't, it, it, it just seemed not foreign. And I, I mean, I obviously know the logical aspects of how it works, but I, I just didn't know if I had the passion to keep doing something. Like I thought maybe I'd upload a video or two and that would be it. So I didn't really have any idea of where it was going to go. I had no plan. I had no, uh, I just needed to vent about Halloween. And the primary reason for that, it was my girlfriend that pushed me to do it. But the primary reason why I had the need to do it was because I saw a void in a space. And this doesn't mean that nobody was talking about it, but the people that I was watching were all talking about similar things. And they were all talking about, I don't know if they watched each other and they just were uploading their own thoughts on what each other was saying. I have no idea. But the vast majority of people that I were watching at the time talking about Halloween were talking about similar things, um, sort of the, the, the basic 101 kind of stuff when it comes to uh, Halloween and the potential release of this new movie. And I like to dive deeper and I like to discuss the psychological layers of the original film and how it was originally supposed to be a one-off movie and you know what does it all mean and all that kind of stuff and on and on and on really nerdy sweaty stuff right and um and nobody was really talking about that so i saw a void sort of in the space to be able to kind of jump in and start saying hey what about this and i had no idea where it was going to go and i had no idea i had no plan for my channel there's one thing that i always and i i mentioned this not long ago on a, on a mccray live i said it might have been the episode where i was talking about uh how to be successful on youtube um it may have been that but i said um i said i don't know if anybody's noticed and at first it it sort of became kind of like at first I didn't do this because I just didn't do it. I think I was naive. I think I didn't really know that you're supposed to do this. And then when I became self-aware that I wasn't doing this, I sort of made the creative decision to continue not to do it to see what would happen. And that is in the three years I've been doing this in the ways that I have been not once have I ever, and I mean, literally, not once have I ever asked one person to subscribe to me at the end of my video or at the beginning of a stream or a video. I've never said, you know, make sure you hit that subscribe button, hit that, you know, hit that notification bell. I've never done it, never done it once. Now, that doesn't mean that those who do it are somehow beneath me and they shouldn't be doing it. That's, I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying that I've never asked anybody to subscribe to me. And the reason eventually it became is because I wanted to see if I could gain a following based on what I was talking about. Not that people don't, but based on what I was talking about rather than sort of psychologically alluding to the fact that you should subscribe to me. Uh, and, you know, I look back and I think maybe if I had asked people to subscribe to me, maybe I'd be at 50,000 subs. I don't know. But I've never done that. And um it sort of turned into kind of a thing now where I just, I don't do it. You want to subscribe? Great. If you don't, that's okay. So I never really had an idea of where this was going to go. I just sort of um, kind of put myself out there and, and just wanted to talk about my passions. But as you can see, I know how to talk. Going back <laughs> to your 
going back to your original question, which was, did I ever sort of, uh, was I worried that it was going to get to a spot where I, where I was going to sort of hit a wall and I would have nothing to say because Halloween had sort of ended. The question is yes and no. Um, or the answer, excuse me, is yes and no. Uh, it became more apparent as Halloween 2018 was winding down. And, uh, and then I started to think to myself, well, if I want to keep this going, and now it feels like I, I kind of have to because I have like, you know, 14,000 subs and people care about, you know, what I have to say. So I started to sort of really focus on the fact, and I did this early on too, that I'm not a movie reviewer. Right. I'm not a, a, a movie reviewer. I'm more of a movie commentator. So I like to talk about anything and everything. So I like to set up the expectations on my uh, I like to be in control of the expectations so people don't expect that I'm going to be reviewing the latest and greatest movie. Um, it's just I'm a movie commentator. It's like a radio show, you know, or like kind of show, you know, you tune in to hear about what I'm talking about today. And that's sort of what I knew that when Halloween 2018 was winding down, that's the direction that I really wanted to focus on. And I'll shut up now and let you uh, ask another question. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's uh, I mean, I, clearly you are you are uh, in control of uh, your voice and you are the you are the voice man. You uh, you do this as a as a full time thing. So the YouTube is uh, for everybody listening that's not familiar with you. You are a full-time professional uh, voice artist. And the yes. YouTube thing is not really your means to an end. It's like you said, it's a hobby. Yeah, it is. It's, it's uh, um, you know, it is, I mean, obviously the channel is monetized. I do have a Patreon. Uh, I do receive super chats. But everything that is is raised through the channel goes back into the channel. So it goes back into the channel to purchase the software that's needed to purchase, you know, the um, equipment and, and updating the mics and the gear and all that kind of stuff. The stuff that I don't use for my uh, VO work, because I do have all that for my VO work, but I wanted other uh, gear for the YouTube specifically. So, um, so that's where it goes to. And then of course, if I want to get guests on, uh, depending on the, uh, level of guest and who they are, uh, they, they, you know, they, they may need to be paid for it. They may not need to be paid for it. That will go that, you know, um, towards that as well. So it's, it goes right back into the channel. And that's so cool. It's, it's what I love about it. And you actually, uh, you, you, you mentioned this when you were, uh, talking about, you know, how you kind of found your success on YouTube is, and I wanted to really, it, it, it is a strange thing that people at the end of their videos or maybe at the beginning of a video on YouTube will say, make sure you hit that subscribe button, smash that like button, you know, share the video. And you would think this is all common knowledge. You would think that this is all just, if someone likes you, if someone appreciates the content you create and, and, and upload, that they're going to do that anyway. And uh, something that, you know, you decided to do very early on is not to do any of that stuff. And it does, you know, stand out, uh, you know, whether or not people that follow you notice it or not, it's something that, you know, if you're writing your, your, your autobiography in a few years, you can, you, you, you can really put that in there and go, you know, I did this as naturally as I possibly could. And, you've found that success. And there's a lot of people out there that I think are trying to figure that out. They're, they're trying to figure out what is that YouTube algorithm? What is, you know, what is, what is the secret to the success? And that was a, a really good live stream that, uh, that you did there where 
it was a nice little change of pace for your channel where you weren't necessarily talking about film. Uh, you were trying to really, you know, tell everybody. And I think we learned a lot about you in that episode, which is something that um, I'm sure a lot of people that are really big fans of you would, would, would love to see more of. Do you, like, do you think you're going to go in that direction of, you know, maybe going into, I don't know, some, 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 some story from your past or something and, and, and making a stream about that? Yeah, maybe. I mean, um, it's entirely possible. I, I, I sort of like to keep the avenues very open to, to what uh, my channel will evolve into. I mean, obviously, I, I will always primarily be talking about movies in the world of entertainment because not only are, you know, is it the industry I work in, but of course, it's, it's the pa I love movies. I love, you know, to, to make little films and to watch movies and to, to be part of the whole movie sphere. So it will always be sort of movie centric. But I like, but, you know, I'm, I'm more than just, um, you know, I'm more than just a, like I said, I'm, I'm not a movie reviewer. I'm, I'm, I'm opinionated. I, I have certain insights that I want to bring to the table. It's, it's more of a, you know, it's more of a, almost a talk show environment, you, you know, where, where you kind of tune into the, the, to hear, you know, and I have a topic and I'm talking about it and then we, you know, I mean, it, it's sort of just, um, I guess the, the, the real brutally honest answer would be is that I really have no fucking idea where it's going to go. And, and I, and I still don't. And that's sort of the, 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 I kind of like that. I mean, I have a general consensus, a general idea of what I want to do, but I never want to feel like I'm tied to one thing. I mean, I would never start talking about, you know, how to, you know, uh, shop at Walmart or, you know, build your home <laughs> or something like that. I mean, I'm not going to start, you know, deviating from, from the, the crux of the con of, of the subject matter and the identity of the channel. But, but certainly I, I like to do all sorts of things and talk about all sorts of things related in the field. And, and that is something that is unique that of course, I, again, I bring to my channel in my space that not a lot of people can do, you know, and not a lot of people uh, uh, are, doing so uh yeah i mean it's just i just really don't have a, i've never had a plan i've just sort of put myself out there talked about my passions and let the chips fall where they may and um you know when i did that uh show uh, i guess it was last week where i was talking about how to be successful on youtube i mean i prefaced the show by saying you know let's first say that i mean i'm i'm i barely have twenty thousand subs so it's not like i'm somebody who is gigantic but I think the important thing that I that I mentioned in there, too, is that it's not just about how many subs you have. That is important, of course, but it's about viewer engagement at the end yes. of the day, because people yes. can be subscribed to you and not watch you. You know, there are a plethora of examples on YouTube of channels that have, you know, 90,000 subs and they average, you know, 500 views a video. Well, there's a number of reasons for that. The first could be that they paid for those subs and their views are not, are not matching the subs they paid for because some people forget that if you're going to pay for subs, you better start paying for views because it's not going to, you know, um, but generally that could also mean that they've changed their identity. They've changed their brand. They don't upload, you know, on a consistent basis. Who knows? There's a variety of reasons for that, but subs are important. Absolutely. But it's, but what's more important are views and viewer engagement. And, uh, and, you know, I think that is, um, 
yeah, that's sort of what I focus on. And I let the subs sort of come as they may. And, and, uh, but I'm not, I'm not focused on, I'm not checking how many subs I have every day. I'm not posting, you know, uh, that I passed that mark, this mark, this mark, that mark. I used to very early on in the beginning when I hit 4,000, 5,000, I thought that was, um, uh, kind of fun. But then I thought, Jesus, I, you know, I'd be doing this like I, you know, I don't want to do that every, you know, time I hit a mark. I think it's just a little, you know, it's, it's, I mean, the big marks, like if, you know, if I hit 25, 50, a hundred, I mean, that's fun, right? You know, that's fun to, to, to kind of say, Hey, this is awesome. But, um, you know, if you're doing it every, every, you know, thousand subs, it's sort of, you know, the novelty kind of wears off, but, um, but yeah, you know, I'd like to talk more about about me, and and and, and that sounded very, you know, pretentious. <laughs> but I meant more, more, more about my like who I am, you know, as an individual, and 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 sort of be a little more relatable that way. I want to get you know, my buddy Bruce on the channel, of course, uh, more uh, the you know experience he has uh, working here in Toronto in the film industry is just absolutely in, in it, it's just incredibly valuable to to um, you know, I think to the channel. So, you know, we're always evolving and, and, and kind of taking it in different interesting directions and Halloween will always be a gigantic focus as well, but how I talk about Halloween and how I approach it, I want it to always to continue to be interesting to watch. Something that is very commendable on your end is you are someone that is very comfortable where you don't even need a co-host. And this is something that uh, I think a lot of people struggle with is they need, you know, someone to bounce stuff off of. And if you put aside the thing you do with Tony Michael, you don't have a co-host. It's literally always just you in front of the camera and you are able to sustain, you know, obviously you have the chat going, but you are able to sustain an hour and a half, two hours, two and a half hours of just sitting there and, and, and talking and somehow being engaging the entire way through, uh, is like is, yeah it's go ahead i, I would no I, I i was just gonna say it's 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 not easy to do um it's i think you know and i said this in uh that show that that we've been sort of um touching on here in, in terms of how to sort of be successful on the tube so to speak and and you know i i talk about this uh i used to teach um about three or four times a year i would teach a voiceover workshop and it was for beginners and you know, I'm somebody that, uh, you know, I, I mean, I'm a firm believer that that it's not in what you say, it's how you say it. You know, you don't have to be a dick. You know, you can certainly be uh, firm and strong and blunt and honest without being a dick. And the, the, the fact of the matter is the reality is that whether you are doing voiceover or acting or you know, doing a YouTube channel, you're in the business of entertainment. I mean, unless you're doing a, a you know, tutorial channel where you're just showing how to build car, or, you know, how to, how to, you know, pump up a car and change a tire. It doesn't necessarily have to be incredibly entertaining. But um, if you are in the space that, that I'm in and that you're talking about movies and you're, connect and you're trying to connect with your audience and, you know, I, I hate to say, and I genuinely do hate to say this, because I certainly don't want people to a get the wrong impression and b think that that I'm trying to discourage them from doing it. But the fact of the matter is, is that you are in the business of entertainment and you, you know, a, a 
people with a certain level of natural performing abilities are always going to do better. And that is just the reality of life. There's a saying in the entertainment industry, you can teach technique, but you can't teach talent. You either have it or you don't. You can get better. You absolutely can get better and you can learn and get better. But people who are just born performers like a Robin Williams or a Jim Carrey are just always going to do better. They just command the stage. They have the presence. They have the it factor. It really does exist. That doesn't mean somebody who's a little more introverted can't get better. Sure, they can get more comfortable. Absolutely. But they're never going to be Robin Williams. They're never going to be Jim Carrey. It's just not going to happen. And that's not a, it doesn't sound like a nice thing to say, but it's the truth. It's the it's the reality of the business of entertainment. And when you are and I come from a family that is that kind of a family. My, my family was was charismatic and outgoing and they never shut up like I'm not shutting up right now, Eddie. I mean, it's just one of those things, you know, I mean, you get people like, you know, you get us, you know, all in a room for a family barbecue and it's ah, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> I mean, it's just it's one of those families. Right. You know, and it's and if you come from that kind of a background to be able to and, and, and then if you're talking about something you're passionate about, you know, um, then you have a better opportunity of being engaging and commanding that on-screen presence. There are lots of people, and bless them, I sincerely mean that. I mean, there's lots of people that, that see what we're doing or see it, and they want to do it, but unfortunately, you know, they have, you know, the personality of an egg. And, and, and I don't mean that to be mean. I'm just saying that, you know, they, they want to do it, but, and, but they don't command the on-screen presence. So what ends up happening is they, they start, they get going, they do it for a bit, uh, and then they, they get discouraged because they're not gaining the following fast enough, or they're running out of ideas, or their views are only at, you know, 110 views, you know, and, and, and they work so hard. That's the thing, too, is that doing a YouTube channel is hard work. It is very hard work. I mean, I didn't realize how hard work it was going to be before I, uh, you know, began to do this. And then, of course, if you do gain a following, then there's an expectation that you're going to have to do this on a at least semi-regular basis. So now it becomes even harder. And if you don't have that natural, you know, pizzazz and, and, and you know, it factor um, where you just live, breathe and shit this kind of thing, um, it, it can be difficult, right? I mean, it can be difficult. Um, so I think... Uh, Fuck, I forget the question now. What a shock. I feel like Mark Hamill. But God, have you guys seen Mark Hamill? It, um, Mark Hamill, I love Mark Hamill, but he's the kind of guy that you can ask him a question and he goes on for like 30 minutes and it doesn't even <laughs> he's just totally, totally I, feel, I feel like people are going to be listening to this going, Matt McCray never shuts up! Shut up, McCray! This is going to be, shut up, Jesus. Uh, anyway, I think I answered your question somewhere in there. <laughs> well, hey, look, I you at least got a shout in there and, and, and people probably tune in for, you know, uh, 50% of the audience probably tunes in just, just to see <laughs> how many fucking times are you going to, you know, shout off like right. away from your microphone That's yelling right. like some obscurity. And it's, uh, yeah, uh, you, you definitely answered the question. Something when you were talking that, 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 that came to my mind, another thing that really works for you. And I don't know if you're aware of it or not is, uh, Again, because of your personality, because of how engaging you are, this goes to your 
uh, statements there of, you know, certain people it, it, it's just really not meant for. So many people when they're doing a video and even your edited videos, and this is something that maybe people realize or not, your edited videos, there's very few edits in your videos. Like even if it's an edited video, it's usually you talking for uh, like an extended period of time and then maybe there's a cut or two. So right. many people on YouTube that are trying to, you know, to, to, to try to engage with audiences, they're going to have a million cuts in their video where they're talking and then it's a cut and then they're talking and it's a cut and they're talking and it's a cut. Yeah, um, that, that can be that that is. Well, you see, you know, when there's a cut on my videos, that's the software's, you know, uh, way of saying, <laughs> shut the, you know, shut the fuck up, McCray. Uh, I actually don't do those cuts. It's, it's just, you know, it's just the software saying, shut up anyway. No, but. <laughs> Um, what it is, is, uh, you're right. It, and, and, but sometimes it can take me a while, you know, I, I do several takes of, you know, what I'm talking about because sometimes, you know, you, you, you have to go back and you have to change things. Um, but sometimes that's a style as well. I mean, there are some, you know, you look at the large channels like a Philip DeFranco, you know, who, who that's his style. I mean, he cuts like on every, which I actually, I used to actually, um, think it was cool and kind of an interesting visual aesthetic like 10 years ago. Now I think it's fucking annoying as hell. Yeah. I think it's, I mean, when you are editing after every sentence, you know, it's just, it's, it, there's no breath and, and, and conversations, although, you know, it doesn't sound like I have one, but, but conversations <laughs> naturally have that end point and that breath and that thinking and that, you know, and that, you know, kind of thing. Whereas, um, when you edit it like that, it can be a, it could definitely be a creative choice where it's just bum, 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 bum. And some people love it. You know, some people love it and you certainly can get more out in a shorter period of time, but that's not my style. You know, I'm a, I'm a talker. I'm a, I'm a, I can be verbose at times. I can be long winded at times, but if you stick with me, I like to think that I, I certainly can bring it home when it counts. So that's, that's, that's the most important thing. It's not how you begin. It's how you finish folks. So, you know, <laughs> have you ever, have you ever thought about, uh, cause I mean, you're, you're funny. Like, have you ever thought about doing stand up comedy? I did stand up comedy. Uh, it's funny. You should say that when I was in college, uh, well, yes, I have uh, thought about it. I did uh, when I was in college. Uh, this is the late '90s. Um, I did. Uh, I went to an open mic night, oh. and I did stand up, and it was hugely successful. And then I was invited back. It was the on-campus pub. We had an on-campus pub, and the owner of the pub invited me back uh, on a regular comedy night when they had regular comics. And so I, uh, I came back, this is maybe a couple months later or something. I came back and of course my friends came to support me and all that jazz. And, and I went up there and of course I'm not a, I mean, I'm what, 20 years old. I, I, I really have no idea of how to be, I just went up and just started kind of being me. Like it was really no structure to it. I just kind of had some basic ideas of funny observational things that I thought were hilarious. And I went up there and I just started doing what I do, you know, doing, you know, ah, fuck it, you know, whatever, you know, it is. And, and people were laughing, people liked it. And then when I got off the stage, the comedian, the professional comedian, I forget who he was now, um, who was up there prior to me because he went up, did his little shtick. And then during the break is when I went up and then, uh, and then he came back up after me and he was, it's almost as if, and I, and I say this sincerely, I'm not saying this to toot my own horn or, or anything because people were coming up to me even 
saying it. Like I was thinking it when I was watching him. I was kind of thinking, well, that's a little strange. And then people started to come up to me after the show was done and started to kind of say, did you see so-and-so and almost confirm what I was thinking? So he gets back up there and he starts into his sort of, you know, routine again. And it's almost as if he's taking on my persona. It's almost as if he, he saw that what I was doing was getting laughs and he went up there and he started to sort of incorporate, you know, more of my sort of style into his routine. Now, is it entirely possible that his routine, his second act of, you know, had that in there anyway? I guess it's possible. But it just seemed like an, uh, an, a funny coincidence. And people were coming up to me afterwards going, it's like he was being you up there because he knew that that certain scream or that certain voice got a laugh. So he started to do it. And I, 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 I noticed that, too. It was, it was very strange. I wish I knew who he was now so I could send him an invoice. But anyway, uh, the, <laughs> the, it's yes, I, I have thought about it, but I've never thought about it beyond thinking about it. Uh, but I, I, you know what? Hey, I'm only 40. It, I, I certainly could do it. Hell yeah. And I mean, what Toronto is, is, uh, I don't know if it's necessarily like the capital of comedy, but I have to imagine that there's a lot, I mean, there's, I mean, what we've been talking about, Jim Carrey is from, uh, is from Canada. He's a famous, uh, Canadian comedian. Absolutely. Um, oh yeah. I mean, uh, Toronto is the fourth largest city in North America and it's, uh, it is a hotbed for, um, comedians and and just talent in general and i mean you know john candy is or was yes. of course he passed was from toronto jim carrey was born here mike myers was born here uh rick moranis Ooh. i believe was born here dan Aykroyd, i believe was born in ottawa which is the nation's capital here in canada about a four and a half hour drive from toronto uh michael j fox is from canada as well but he he was born i, th I think he was born in edmonton or alberta somewhere out there but i mean lots of i mean ryan reynolds is canadian from vancouver i believe um, you know, lots of funny men and women, uh, come from, uh, Canada and certainly the Toronto area. So it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's definitely a hotbed for talent for sure. Absolutely. Wow. That, I, I had no idea that you ever dabbled in, uh, in comedy. It's, uh, it, it, it's something that you really gotta, I mean, I, I assume that you could even attest to it just from this, this one thing that you did where it's like, it's almost because I used to do theater in, in high school, but it was, you know, obviously staged and scripted. I mean, when you sure. did it, did you have, did you have a, like, was it a set? Did you have like, did you know what your jokes were going to be? Or was it just sort of like improvisational kind of comedy? Well, like I said, I, I, I had a, a general idea of some things that I found funny, you know, observational things. And uh, but I had no structure. I, I had no pre-prepared. I just went up there. You know, it's like, uh, you know, say, you know, I find, um, you know, I find it hilarious that. Uh, um, well, this is off the top of my head, but this is true. I, 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 I will often say to my girlfriend when we're in the grocery store, I'll be like, you know, people lack you know, objective awareness when they're in, you know, the aisle. And there's so many people that will go down the aisle and they'll park their cart in the middle of the aisle as they bend over to look, you know, at something like whatever. And, and I just found that funny. And I started to kind of make, you know, 
jokes about it and you know and all that kind of stuff really what professional comedians do i mean they 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 observe things in the world whether it's their family or out in public or their friends or uh, politics or whatever the case is and then they find the absurdity in it and they start to sort of you know make it their own and 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 you know basically talk about how they feel so on some rudimentary level that's sort of what i was doing um, and, but I had no, but I didn't go home and prepare a set. Like, it's not like I went home and wrote it all out and knew what I was going to say. Um, I just went up there and I winged it and, uh, I'm a pretty good improviser. I mean, I, I did, uh, imp imp improvisation in, uh, high school and in college. Um, and so it's, I'm a think, yeah, I can think fast. Um, so I just kind of, I don't know. I just, I didn't, I mean, really I should have been prepared, but I was 20. So I didn't, I didn't, I just kind of went up there and I was like, fuck it. I'm just going to, I just think this is funny. So I just went up there. I talked about it and I, I just, funny. yeah, now, I just, I just, that's what I did. Well, that's, but that's the ballsy aspect of it. It's like to go up on a stage and just hope that your mind and that your mouth is not going to, I mean, assuming that you don't make that part of the act where you're like stuttering over your words or everything, but you know, assuming right. that you're going to go for the, you know, I know what I'm talking about and it's just spewing out of me. There's no stuttering whatsoever. That right. is, that is ballsy. And I mean, I commend you for it. I mean, you, you yeah, there's probably no video of it, but if, if that would no. ever surface. <laughs> no, there, there would be no video of it. Cause this is obviously, <laughs> uh, this is, uh, 99, 2000. So, uh, okay. long, long time ago. And, and, um, uh, but I did it twice. I did it on an, like I said, an open mic night, which is just kind of amateurs going up and, and people are like, you know, Dave, you got to go up, man, go up. So I just went up and I, you know, I did it. And then, like I said, uh, the owner liked it so much that he invited me back. So I actually did it twice. Okay. Um, and I, I can't remember, I'll be honest with you. I remember the second time more than I remember the first time. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't remember the first time all that much, but I think I was talking about like, you know, the same things, you know, and, um, but yeah, I, I wouldn't be adverse to it. I mean, I mean, if, if I, you know, I mean, I, I, I certainly, if I would like now at 40 years old, I, I would rely on my improvisation skills, uh, because I think that's a strong point, but I certainly now I would have more of a set. Like I, you know, I, I certainly wouldn't just go up there and just like, well, I think that's funny. Let me just, you know, talk about it for 10 minutes <laughs> because I would probably, as you say, I'd begin to sort of run into kind of a wall and, and it would be very, you know, clear that, that, that I was unprepared and, uh, and, uh, you know, obviously I wouldn't want that. So. Well, that's something that blows my mind when I watch, cause I, I love watching stand up like comedians and, and, uh, I've, I've been to a couple shows, um, and, uh, uh, I've seen Bob Saget live. I've seen Dave Coulier live. Uh, you know, it, it, to me, it, it seems like it's weird because part of it seems like they know where they're going, but part of it seems like you have to, you, you, you have to have room for the unexpected to just pop in there, whether it's someone in the crowd that's being a heckler and and you're going to riff off of that a little bit and then you have to be able to find your way back into you know whatever your structure was i think oh, that's 100 100 you're you're bang on They're, they you know and and again i'm not a professional comedian but but as a performer i can say that uh with a high probability that they definitely i mean they have a set it's structured they know what they're going to say 
but there's definitely always uh, room for the natural organic uh, things to happen because you're feeding off of the audience. And you never know how the audience is going to respond to one joke to the next because you could go and perform a set at some bar and people love the joke about, you know, the two headed, you know, twins and, and their, you know, panties caught in the such and such or whatever. Right. They, they <laughs> could love that. You, you, you try to do that joke again the next night at a bar in a different town and it just doesn't fly. I mean, you know, it can be very uh, so you know, relying on your improvisation skills and feeding off of the audience, playing to the audience, you know, and seeing what the audience is sort of the, the vibe they're giving you is incredibly important. And sometimes, I mean, Robin Williams, you know, there is no doubt in my mind that he knew what he was going to say. But I mean, just watch his stand up. He is fucking he's a machine. He's all over the place. He's going through 10 bottles of water in a in a, you know, in a single <laughs> night. Because he's just, you know, ADD, all, but, but he's really feeding off the audience, you know, and, and it depends on the kind of comedian you are. Sometimes, like for me, that would be the kind of comedian I am. Like I would be very much in the ways of a, um, you know, I'm up there, I'm engaged, I'm loud, I'm looking at the audience, making eye contact, you know, that kind of thing. But then there are some that are very, that stand in one spot. And don't do much. And it's more witty humor as opposed to, you know, performance humor. Because there are some people that are just witty. You know, they, they just say things that are just really smart and funny, you know, and that are, that are ironic, you know, and that you sit there and you laugh because of, it's just the irony and, and the wit that is, you know, coming out of their, their mouths is just hilarious. And then you get people like me that are more slapsticky, you know, and, and see the absurdity in, in, in things and, and are more performers, you know, um, so yeah. it all depends on who you are, but, but you're bang on. You're absolutely correct. You know, something when, uh, and, and then there's like a third kind of subcategory to that, where, when you see someone like, and this probably only works for maybe a couple people, but it works for him in incredibly well. Someone like Bob Saget, who right. <laughs> when literally <laughs> what, what, what works for him is just being the opposite of what people think he is. And exactly. People think of him as Danny Tanner. And that's right. You go to his show and it is a 180. And that is why it's funny. It's funny that's because right. he plays off of that stereotype of, oh, you thought I was Danny Tanner, but not really. This is how oh. I am in real life. A hundred percent. That's that's part of his shtick now. You know, and and because you're right, I mean, you know, for seven, eight years on Full House, people see him as the, you know, the the uh, poster, you know, child for 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 the dad that you want. You know, I mean, he was almost like the white Bill Cosby, you know, <laughs> um, you know, I, well, I mean, the, the white, the white, Cliff, the, the, the white Cliff Huxtable, I should say, not the white Bill Cosby, the white <laughs> Cliff Huxtable. Yeah, that, definitely not the white Bill Cosby. That's a that's a whole oh. other thing right there. But right. you know how, you know, Cliff Huxtable, right, was, you know, uh, America's dad, right? I mean, he was, you know, the Cosby show, right? The the epitome of the kind of dad that you want. Well, in some ways, Danny Tanner was kind of like that dad sort of too. I mean, not not to that degree, but certainly there there was that aura around him, you know, the sweet, innocent, you know, do the right thing, moral, you know, um, and then of course his stand-up is anything but. So uh, <laughs> yeah, that's that definitely works for him for sure. Oh man, your video on uh, because I love Fuller House, like it, it, it's 
it's a fucking guilty pleasure <laughs> for me. And I was looking forward to that episode because I hadn't seen that season. Like, so I had watched your video of that of that particular episode where he runs to the to the mm-hmm. basement. <laughs> That's right. And, to take a uh, shit. Yeah. <laughs> and I got to that, and yeah, that that scene doesn't make sense to me at all. <laughs> No, like, it doesn't. Like it's 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 very weird. I I, I know people uh, reached out to me and said that well, there in the in the original series, uh, Joey was the one that lived in the basement, and and therefore uh, th- there there were some scenes that were shot down there where uh, it does show sort of a bathroom off in the corner, and it's like okay, uh, but in the couple episodes uh, now, I don't know if they've renovated, got rid of it, what the actual canon justification would be. But, um, you know, the, the whole idea of going downstairs into now Stephanie's bedroom to take a crap just seems so it just I mean, obviously, I'm thinking about it too seriously. It was just played for laughs. But when you watch it at face value, it really is absurd and hilarious. And I mean, here's this guy who's got to take a crap. He runs from upstairs, grabs that loofah thing out of, you know, DJ's hand and runs into the kitchen and what like here's the thing what what if that you see he comes into the kitchen and then he grabs <laughs> that 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 uh, like porta potty thing right you know the thing well but he looks over at it and he goes oh what's this or something to that effect so what had what if that had not been there i mean what if that had not i mean he was still running to go into the basement <laughs> to take a shit so what if that porta potty had not been there he still would have gone into the basement to take a shit in steph's bedroom <laughs> like I just like I mean it just it doesn't so and if there was a toilet down there why would he need the porta potty right he he wouldn't need it <laughs> so so this whole idea just is absurd <sighs> to me that he's running into the basement to take a shit and he would have taken a shit no matter what you know <laughs> just and, and wipe his ass with a loofah it's so <laughs> ridiculous it's just so silly and uh, uh, I've only watched about five episodes of 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 that show for the same reasons and and, and just to kind of you know the nostalgia kind of see what this is all about and that just happened to be one that i watched and my girlfriend and i are busting i've never laughed so hard in my life <laughs> at something so absurd you know yeah uh, that, that definitely was funny did you see the one or maybe it was the same episode was that the one where he gets the colonoscopy that is the one yes that's right okay, that's why okay. he, yeah because he was he was actually uh uh you know cleaning out his uh, bowels <laughs> so to speak uh, and I have had a colonoscopy. I had it uh, when I was about 32 or 33, and uh, which is far earlier than than when most men need it. But I had it for a, for a uh, a specific reason. And uh, they 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 often say that the prep is worse than the procedure, and and that is true. I mean, the procedure, you know, it's lights out. I mean, you're you're you know unconscious. What it seems like all of 30 seconds, you don't feel anything. It's not a big deal. But the prep you know, the day before you got to take all this, you know, X lax type stuff to, you know, you're essentially on the toilet all day. You can't eat any solid food. And so that's what that was, you know, it it was playing that for laughs, but the whole idea of him running from upstairs to take a crap in his daughter's bedroom, it just, I mean, so what if the porta potty hadn't been there? Would he have taken a shit on the floor? I mean, I just, I I don't know. I mean, it just doesn't make any sense. Yeah. No, Uh, something tells me, Something tells me that that was uh, during the writer's room. That was Bob Saget coming into play and going, Maybe. guys, look, I need to I, look. Can I can I can I add something to this? And they're like, yeah, sure. <laughs> go ahead, Bob. Maybe. <laughs> and, maybe. I could totally see that. hundred percent. Yeah. Oh, man. 
I don't know how we got on colonoscopies and and, and shitting. Colonoscopies but... <laughs> and shitting and Bob Saget and hey, it's crazy. You're you're crazy, Eddie. Oh fuck. Um, no, like seriously though, that's something that is uh, it, it, it definitely works for him, and um, but that's so cool. I mean, if any like anybody that follows you that that, that listens to this, because I don't think have you really ever talked about that like like that doesn't seem like something that i've heard and 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 i'm a pretty faithful watcher like i don't think i appreciate that yeah absolutely yeah no it's 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 not something that i that i've uh uh that i've talked about on my channel it's it's not something that i've uh that i think about from day to day i think it's just more of i think for me because i i i I know that if I was to do it, it would be it wouldn't be a half-assed thing because I, I care very much about you know it's got to be the right material and then you have to do your um, due diligence and make sure that nobody else is doing it as well because then you're going to be accused of you know stealing and you know we all live in the same world and we all relatively speaking experience the same sort of funny things. And so it wouldn't be unprecedented for me on my own to just see something that's hilarious that I think it's hilarious. And then I go to do a bit about it. And then I find out that, no, I can't do it. Like, yeah, well, you know, Bob Saget did that. And it'd be like, <laughs> I, see, see, you stole from Bob Saget. It's like, I didn't even know Bob's. And, and I could be telling the absolute truth, but I just didn't know. Right. So that's something too, is that if you make that venture, I mean, maybe on an open mic amateur night, it wouldn't be a fucking big deal. But if you, if you're good and if you have any talent and if it goes anywhere and that, and you know, you, you got to make sure that your, your shtick is, is as, as original as it, as it could be. And, and that takes work too. Yeah. That's a really good point. Like imagine, so what we're 2020, imagine the year 20, I don't know, 75. Right. Like, can you imagine what it's going to be like when people try to like, well, like, we'll use stand up comedy, for example, like what is going to be like, like where else can you go? It seems like every joke has been told at some point like this. I mean, this goes to the movie thing too. Every story has been told. It's like, where, like, how, how do you further expand upon the word originality without stepping on the shoes or stepping in the shoes of someone that's come prior to you. Like that's something that, that, that really fascinates me. And you talking about that just really like it, it ignited that in my head. It's like, imagine the year 2075, what is going to be quote unquote original? <laughs> yeah, I, th- it, it's true. It's, it's, it's a very good point. I think in the, in the, in the, uh, in the area of comedy, I think because comedy again, Stand-up comedy, for the most part, is is that observational sort. Like it's always. I mean, there are more there are more observational comedians than others. I mean, uh, Jerry Seinfeld is is just a pure observational comedian, right? It's it's that you know you know well imagine this you know and that you know all that kind of stuff. And 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 there are some that are that are more than that than others. But but really, comedy in general is is. A, I mean, you you talk about the things you know. Most comedians talk about the things that are in their own lives. So I I think it will just continue to evolve as the world evolves and as politics evolves and as the craziness in the world evolves. I mean, you know, now we have, you know, comedians joking about me too and gender equality and all that kind of stuff. And, and, but people weren't doing that, you know, 20 years ago because that wasn't a big issue. 
um, in terms of the mainstream pop culture consciousness. And now that it's out there in sort of the mainstream, you know, you have people for better or worse, offended or not, you know, people doing that kind of thing. So I think as the world evolves and as as our culture evolves and as society, there will always be, you know, things coming down the pipe that are that are going to be that are going to be just ripe for making fun of, whether it's it's good or not, right or not, you're going to get offended or not. There's always going to be something coming down the pipe that is just um, that you 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 can find the absurdity in in it somewhere. And so, uh, but then there, there will always be falling back on your safe ones too, which is, you know, so my wife the other day, you know, I mean, that kind of, that's been done ad nauseum and, and, uh, but the, the, there'll always be those things too, because as new generations come up that are beginning to experience those things, you know, a 40 year old in 2070, uh, is, is not even alive right now. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds ridiculous. So, I mean, th they'll start to experience a different sort of version of what we're experiencing. So it will be the same sort of jokes, but almost different versions of them to match sort of the culture and society that they're currently in. You know, so maybe it won't be, God, those damn people at the grocery store. It'll be those had those damn people in the virtual reality grocery store or whatever it is right i mean it just it just continues to evolve that way i think is probably what's going to happen yeah very true very true just you kind of have to you kind of have to go with the flow and see what's you know what like wherever technology goes and you're a big believer that it's going to be like it's going to be like you said their virtual reality is probably the oh, next 100%. the next big thing yeah, I think so. I think, uh, you know, people have often asked me, where do I see, you know, movies in, you know, 20 years, 30 years, whatever. It's 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 the world of entertainment, how, how we consume our entertainment is what is going to change the most. The stories will will change and evolve, of course, but how we consume our entertainment is going to change the most. And And I think virtual reality, I mean, look, I mean, I'm talking to you right now on a handheld pocket computer. That is what it is. It's not a phone. And you've heard, you know, you've heard me say that on my channel. I mean, it's, it's a cell phone. It's marketed as a smartphone because pocket computer sounds really nerdy and, and, you know, really ridiculous. I don't think you could market that. But in terms of a smartphone, because even in, you know, when it was released by Apple in 2007, the first iPhone, it was a smartphone. I mean, it was a phone. But uh, since social media has really taken off and apps have become just unbelievable, we're not using our smartphones as phones, really. I mean, how often do you chat on the phone? I mean, 98% of the time, people are using their smartphones for anything but making telephone calls. And, you know, you're, you're typing, you're Facebooking, Instagramming, WhatsApping, you know, Twittering, uh, and, and it's, it's all things you would do on a desktop or laptop computer. Uh, it's, the, you know, there's nothing exclusive to the smartphone that you can't do on a computer. Um, it, well, I mean, there, there are apps, of course, but even apps are coming onto, you know, computers now, too. So um, it's a pocket computer. And this would have been, I mean, I, I mean, imagine this kind of thing 50 years ago. It's science fiction. It's unbelievable. Are, are you kidding me? What? I mean, people 50 years ago were just starting to get used to televisions. You know, and now you got this kind of thing. Imagine where we're going to be in another 50 years. And technology is expanding exponentially. I mean, it's just, it's getting the, the, the technology 
the level of technology that we're getting, we're getting it faster and faster, quicker and quicker. And uh, it's just it, it's it's incredible, but it's scary at the same time. It's just amazing. So how we watch movies, what the movie theater experience will be like uh, 50 years from now. I mean, if there is even a movie theater experience, it will be night and day, night and day from what it is right now. Oh, yeah. And 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 the other thing is, is that it always takes a little bit longer to get there. So you look at movies that have portrayed where we're at currently right now. And we're really not there, you know, to that point of you look up in the sky and you got a thousand flying cars and like, no, no. like, you know what I mean? Like the whole flying car thing that like, that makes no sense to me whatsoever. I mean, the logistics no. of a flying car and to try to actually map that out to where you're like not colliding with another car in midair. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. No flying cars, Flying cars are is purely science fiction. I think it will always remain science fiction. Uh, it's just the logist. It, it it's pretty to look at. It's cool for movies, but it, the logistics of that would be ridiculous. And you know, and 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 how you monitor that and police that is just ridiculous. And the combustion, you know, to be no, it's just that's not that's not something that's going to happen. I I think the self driving cars is more of the reality. Uh, I think that that is, and, and, and I'm even a little nervous about that to just kind of, you know, punch in my, you know, destination and put my feet up and, you know, read a paper or something. Well, I'm even, papers are, are, are you know, <laughs> going by the way of the dodo bird now, but I just mean like, you know, reading a, a book or, or off my Kindle or, or just sitting there, you know, watching a movie or something. I mean, even that makes me nervous that my car is going to be able to really sort of stop and know when to stop. And, 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 and uh, um, the big thing that they have to get with, with self driving cars and they're almost there. I mean, it's definitely coming along is the anticipation. It's the, like a self, you know, uh, driving car can certainly um, know when to stop because of the sensors. So it can know when a light is red. It can know when a light is green. It can know that the car in front of them is moving or is not moving and all that kind of stuff. It, it can parallel park based on, you know, the dimensions of the, of the car and the space and it's all sensors and that's, and that's all awesome shit. But can a car anticipate what another driver is going to do? And that, that is, that's sort of the next step. You know what I mean? That is, that's what makes me nervous. Not the, not the, you know, stopping, starting, parking. I mean, that's, I mean, we're, we're there. I mean, that exists, that, that exists, not on a mass scale, but certainly it exists. It's the anticipation. It's driving down the road. And then all of a sudden the car comes into oncoming traffic or you <laughs> as, or you as a human, you notice the tiny nuances and details of a driver's behavior that the car may not. You know, uh, at least not yet. So that's that's, I think, where we're going when it comes to that kind of thing. I don't think, I, you know, flying cars. No, never going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. Or at least in both our lifetimes. That's for damn sure. Right. Yes. Exactly. Certainly not in our lifetime. That's for sure. <laughs> you know, it's it's and then I don't know if you're uh, like a big watcher of um, like I saw it on The Tonight Show. I don't really watch The Tonight Show that much, but. Um, this was not that long ago where they have uh, like every once in a while, they'll bring on, I guess, like what's new in AI and everything. And they'll they brought on this robot. I think her name's Sophia or Sophie or or something. I think, yeah, I, I didn't see that episode of The Tonight Show, but I think I know uh, the robot you're talking about. 
That is that is fucking frightening. It, it like it, it, it is beyond scary. And part of it is obviously because I've been, you know, conditioned to believe, you know, like after watching iRobot and Terminator and, and, and all this shit that this is going to go wrong. Like this is like this is not good. Don't go in this direction. Do you oh, have that scary. same fear or no? Um, well, I, I think it's inevitable. I think it's uh, I think that uh, I won't be alive to see it. Uh, so it doesn't worry me to that degree in terms of us getting to the point where, you know, it's T2 Judgment Day or Rise of the Machines or even, you know, the last one, uh, Dark Fate. I, I, I don't worry about it in my lifetime. I, th- I think that's still many, many years away if it were even to get to that. Uh, but certainly I think it's inevitable. I think AI is inevitable. Um, and I think it is going to get scarier and, and scarier because of the uncanny valley of just the presentation they look they're they're beginning to look more and more human they're beginning to sound more and more human i mean even my you know even siri and 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 excuse me um google home and alexa and just the things they're able to do and and um obviously it's pre-programmed but it's just yeah i i can't say that i'm 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 scared but i certainly can you can see the writing on the wall that that but but I just think it's inevitable. I just think that the technology exists and will continue to grow and exist and the the desire for people to compartmentalize and simplify things uh, will continue to be of of a desire. And 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 I think if you can, uh, you know, get artificial intelligence to do your dirty work and not have to pay somebody and save billions of dollars, I think you're going to do it. And, and I think that that is unfortunately um, where we're headed. So uh, whether they'll rise up and take over the world, who the hell knows, but uh, you never know. <laughs> yeah, very true. And it's, that, that's the funny part about Hollywood and, and, and movies. Like you'll, you have so many examples, whether it's like the aliens taking over, you have so many examples of, of them coming to earth, destroying us, whether it's war of the worlds or, or, you know, uh, whatever, like there's so many examples of that, but then like every once in a while you'll get the, the ET where it's the opposite of that. It's the friendly, like, don't worry about this. You know, you'll, (laughs) you'll have like, you'll have the minority report. And then on the other hand, you'll have the AI artificial intelligence where it looks at it a little more optimistically. And, and, uh, but yeah, it's just, it's just fascinating stuff. But seeing that on the tonight show where like Fallon was, interacting with this thing and i don't know if it was pre-planned and they had pre-planned uh responses or whatever maybe but this thing was very interactive to a point where it shouldn't have been that interactive (laughs) you know what i mean right it's scary isn't it and and the, the thing is there are a plethora of examples like that not just in ai but in many different sort of aspects of technology that are just slipping under the you know the radar because most people are, you know, caught up in the, you know, the soccer moms and the, you know, the PA teacher meetings and the, you know, and, and the busy day. And so they should be, I'm not saying that that's not important. Uh, you know, you have to live your life. You have to raise your family, but it, these kind of things are insidious and they, and they slip under the radar. And before you know it, you know, it's like, God, you know, in order for me to live my life, I, I have to do this. I have to buy into this now because this is the way it is. 
you know, and um, it can be a scary thing, a, a scary place. Yeah, for sure. The the technology that exists with some of those AI, oh man, I mean, Jesus, they're 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 frightening. I I totally agree. Yeah, it's 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 crazy stuff. But we'll uh, we'll we'll, we'll kind of get off of that stuff. And 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 uh, you have some exciting projects coming out that uh, if people aren't aware of them, they should be because. Uh, you're doing what two fan films currently you're uh, doing uh, Dylan's new nightmare, which is a Friday or not Friday, a uh, uh, nightmare on Elm street fan film. Correct. And you're doing uh, your own fan film for black Christmas. It's me, Billy. Correct. Yes. I, uh, I am playing Freddy Krueger in a uh, nightmare on Elm street fan film uh, directed and written by Cecil Laird of the horror show YouTube channel. Produced by Vincent DeSante of Never Hike Alone fame. He, he himself is currently in production on Never Hike in the Snow, which is a prequel to Never Hike Alone. Uh, and then once he's done Never Hike in the Snow, and that's all wrapped up and out there in the uh, universe for people to see, he's, he hopes to then start moving into, into the actual sequels to Never Hike Alone. So he's, he's, a, he's a busy guy in this uh, Never Hike in the, or Never Hike Alone sort of, you know, mythology and world that he has created and then um yeah cecil uh from the horror show and renee revis from renee revis productions uh and vince they're they're doing uh, a nightmare on elm street fan film called dylan's new nightmare starring miko hughes who obviously was dylan porter in the original new nightmare from 1994 and uh, he was he uh, they got him to reprise his role in this short fan film. It picks up, you know, from the events of the end of that film from 94. And Cecil reached out to me last summer. Uh, we couldn't announce it until uh, the fall when the Indiegogo campaign was launched. They were able to raise close to the budget that they needed. Uh, so the film will go ahead. And uh, but he approached me last summer and asked if I wanted to be Freddy Krueger. And I, I looked at the talent involved and, and, the, and, and the people that were involved and the passion behind it. And I said, absolutely. I mean, that's something I, I couldn't turn down. And um, so, yeah, so we start to shoot that. We shoot that in Phoenix, Arizona uh, at the, la the end of May the end of May. So I think May 25th to 30th, I think is when we're shooting that. And I'm really excited. I mean, they are, when we talk about, you know, uh, fan film, like, you know, we're talking high quality production value, totally legit fan film and fan films, uh, mostly thanks to those, uh, like never hike alone, the production quality and the production value, uh, of fan films are just on the rise. And, uh, because, you know, you have independent filmmakers, professionals getting together, raising the funds to make something for the fans that, that they're dying to see while, you know, the studios play around trying to get their act together. So um, uh, I, I'm excited. I couldn't be more thrilled. And uh, I promise to, to do justice to the character of Freddie. I'm really looking forward to it. And, and, and the, the thing that I'm looking forward to most is uh, they've got Nora Hewitt, who's the special effects makeup artist. She won season nine of Face Off uh, a few years back, and she's going to be doing my makeup. So it's all prosthetics. It's all I was in Hollywood uh, in the fall for the Voice Arts Awards, and I had some time to also get a life cast done of my face and my teeth as well. And uh, she is doing it totally Robert Englund 
Freddy Krueger style. I will be in a makeup chair for probably about four or five hours every morning getting that done. That really excites me. Not that the silicone masks are not spectacular because they are. But when you are when you want to bring that extra level of authenticity to Freddy Krueger, because there's going to be a lot of close ups, you know, depending on the lighting, of course, you want where, you know, the makeup meets the lip and the teeth and all that. You don't want it to be obvious that it's a mask. The silicone masks are great from a distance and maybe in dark lighting, but close ups uh, definitely you, you're like, well, he, it's, it's amazing, but he's obviously wearing a mask of some sort. Uh, with this, they want to go full on, you know, and, and so it's like, wow, this guy looks really burned, you know, and that, uh, I just couldn't be more excited about that. The other fan film that I'm involved with is my own fan film called It's Me, Billy. Uh, it is a Black Christmas fan film. We are, we are in the latter stages of development, moving towards pre-production. We hope to launch our own Indiegogo campaign uh, in April. Uh, the script is done. We're happy with it. Um, we think it honors the integrity of the original Black Christmas from 1974. It continues the story. It's a, it's a sequel. It's a short film uh, as well. And it is a sequel that takes place about 45 years after the events of that movie. So it is continuing the canon, pushing it forward um, in a very interesting and intriguing way. Uh, and we're really excited about it. So uh, hopefully we'll be able to raise the money we need as well uh to shoot the film and we we hope if if, it, if everything goes well we hope to go to camera on it's me billy uh this this fall probably november so uh very very excited about both those those projects and and that too is is the 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 intent of that film of course is to be a high quality high production value never hike alone level project so uh we're very excited about it now when I was uh, when I went to Georgia to to collaborate with uh, Tony on the the Michael Myers shoot, um, when yes. we were when we were driving in between uh, locations, uh, we you know obviously we we're just shooting the shit, and uh, you can tell me like this is obviously pre recorded, so uh, the reason I put that little pause there is uh, if you don't want this part included, I can take this out in the editing room. Um, okay. Uh, Tony was telling me that you and him may or may not be working on a Halloween fan film. Yeah, I think it's okay to say that because we've talked a bit about it on uh, Two Dudes and Some Bullshit. It's okay. uh, it's something. I mean, this is uh, the idea with Tony is is uh, is a really cool idea that we have. Um, it is something that is uh, in the very early stages of very early. I mean, it's more of an announced thing. It hasn't even entered the stage of development yet. Now, Tony on his own, I think, has written – I stand to be corrected. I don't want to speak for him, but I believe he may have written some sort of little treatment uh, to kind of get the ball rolling. But uh, that is definitely something that we are talking about, that we will continue to talk about. Uh, it would be a Halloween fan film uh, that likely is to pick up from Halloween 4, The Return of Michael Myers. And, and possibly bring back uh, two returning characters, uh, if, uh, if we can do it, um, that would continue their story. Very simple, nothing crazy, um, but something that is, I think, a really cool idea. And I think both, I, I would imagine both of these actors would be incredibly intrigued by it. Uh, but again, uh, making movies is not easy, and you got to have the money to do it. And, you know, and uh, so that would be something that would enter into the same sort of 
process. But definitely it's something that we've shot the shit about, we're excited about, and we definitely want to do everything we can after things sort of calm down here, uh, for me especially, uh, and really see if we can if we can make that a reality. It's it's a it's it's well well I mean you know a lot about it because obviously you were talking to Tony about it, but uh, it's uh, it's it's definitely a cool idea, and uh, hopefully it can it can be made into a reality because I think Halloween fans would would lose their minds. Absolutely. And uh, I mean, we won't drop names or anything, but um, like just just the fact that that you have that in your mind and the fact that you look at something like Dylan's new nightmare where you're you're bringing back, you know, original cast members. It, 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 it's it's incredible to think that you can do that in a fan film that that people these days are able to make that level of quality and attract people that were in a full-length theatrical you know full-blown hollywood film they will come on board and they will do your fan film because they know that at the end of the day based off of you know your your reputation based off of the following you have whatever your talent that it's going to turn out very similar to what the original you know property was it's incredible that you can attract people like that and that's obviously a big proponent to get the audience excited the fact that you have uh for example miko coming back it's not a it's not a ripoff dylan it's it's dylan you know what i mean right 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 yeah i think too and i i think it's 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 also important to note uh you know it 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 also is about accessibility and you know many of these actors are you know either at different stages of their careers they may have retired from acting they may have maybe they're still doing acting but they're not doing you know they, they've gone on to do other things and they're easy they're, they're more easily accessible uh than they would have been in the height of their career they're more financially easily accessible they're more literally easy accessible um easy easy easier access easily accessible excuse me um so that does play a part you know it's uh, would you know would Somebody like, uh, you know, Hugh Jackman want to do my fan film Wolverine? Probably not. Uh, and and, and he, he may want to do it, but because of where he is at his career, because of who he's represented by, because of the, you know, certain legalities that uh, because he's too high profile right now. Right. I mean, him doing a fan film would, you know, might be extremely problematic in another 40 years. Maybe Hugh Jackman. Well, not even 30 years, he, you know, I can't see him not ever being in demand, but let's say he hasn't done much in a while. He's retired. He's more easily accessible. He doesn't cause a stir, right? It's not like he doesn't cause as much noise as he would have 20 years ago. It doesn't sound romantic and I'm certainly not trying to diminish the value of getting a Miko Hughes or a Tom Matthews to, you know, Friday the 13th. But a, a, a big part of that is the accessibility. Is, is that, you know, both Miko and Tom are not at the height of where their careers were 25, 30 years ago. You know, to get a Miko Hughes in 1995 would have been next to impossible in a fan film. You know, he's one of the hottest starring child actors in the world at that point. Today, he still does, you know, independent films and things like that, but he's also doing a bunch of other stuff. That's, you know, he's directing, he's shooting, he's, he's doing, he's, I think he might even be DJing or something. I, you know, he, he, he's doing other things. So he's more easily accessible and that's important. 
And then, uh, you know, so it's it's something to keep in mind that, uh, you know, when you and then as you as you, you know, maybe you want to make a Halloween fan film about the two actors that we're talking about. Right. You know, it's they become a little more easily accessible, you know, and and they see this and they and and a lot of these fans like to return to properties that they know and love. Look, they would never do it if they didn't believe in the filmmakers. They're still professionals. And you have to approach them. You are a professional in the industry as well. And you have to approach them on the professional level. And if you are prepared, if you are uh, you know, professional, if you are polite, courteous, kind, you come with guns loaded and you're ready to go and you show this, uh, then that speaks volumes. And, and, you know, sometimes they're like, well, you know what, why not? You know, this might be kind of fun. You know, it allows them to play a role that they otherwise probably would never play again. You know, it allows them to meet other filmmakers. It allows them to, you know, uh, you know, you know, get themselves into the pop culture again and, and, and kind of have some fun and, and dip their toe in. And, and it's just, it's really about accessibility. And, and, uh, and that, that is so important. I mean, it would be next to impossible for me to go off and say, I wonder if Margot Robbie would do my <laughs> birds of prey fan film. Probably not going to happen because it's going to cause a huge stir 30 years from now. Maybe, maybe, I mean, uh, you, you never know, right? I mean, it's, it's entirely possible. So that I can't stress that enough, but it certainly, I don't want to diminish the coolness and the, and the, and the awesomeness and the amazingness of being able to do that. And also too, you know, fan films are not what they used to be. You know, I mean, technically, technically, yes. If the studios that own the IP uh, want to shut it down, they could. And sometimes they have. But I think as fan films grow and as they mature, I would like to think, and I have no basis of evidence you know, with this really, it's just sort of a general feeling of the kind of uh, the the flavor and the and the temperature of the of the environment of the industry. I'm getting a feeling that they don't mind fan films be- for because most fan films are short films. Most most fan films don't have a you know two or three million dollar budget. But even if they are high production value, like a Never Hike Alone, it keeps – the most important thing is that it keeps the IPs that they do own relevant and in the pop culture. Yeah. And I think they look at that and go, so when we do release our, our real movie, our authentic you know, real movie, these fan films only actually help potentially – inadvertently indirectly their box office bottom line and and that they they may be sort of leaning towards that i mean look i could never make a five million dollar full-length feature halloween film that that looks like you know halloween 2018 quality that would never fly they would shut that down faster than you can say halloween 2018 but if it's high production value short film 30 minutes you know, it says it's a fan film, you know, even if you have, you know, a returning older cast member, you know, they kind of go, well, that's kind of cool, you know, and, and, you know, they're not making millions of dollars off of it. It just ends up on YouTube and, you know, they go to a couple of conventions and they have their fun and, and, but it keeps their guy 
you know, it keeps their their antagonist in the pop culture. And and I, I, I would like to think that that's what studios are sort of leaning towards now with fan films. And it's also, even though they may not admit it or even talk about it, it could also be a indirect way of recruiting talent. And and they, they see the talent that is, you know, it's kind of like, holy shit, man, these what the fuck what the fuck these guys are doing. You know, and they're doing that on forty thousand dollars. I'm like, holy snap and crap. I mean, maybe, you know, um, that can happen too, you know. Um, just as long as you're not raising millions of dollars, uh, I generally like to think uh that they just, you know, they they think it's kind of cool. But who knows? Who knows? Well, yeah, that's um uh, I was watching uh it was um, Vincent. He was doing some kind of Q and A. It was a. It might have been on the horror show that I was watching this. Um, right. Uh, they were doing like a Q and A in. I think it was in New York. But um, Vincent was talking about. I think sort of the the requirements that the studios now have when you are doing a fan film, and that I think what the biggest thing is that it has to be for no like uh, nonprofit. You 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 cannot make money off of this particular film that you're making is that correct yeah well that that would be a big one yes um and that is so it, it it's important that the money you raise goes right into the into the project now obviously i mean you know technically i guess somebody's making money somewhere i mean if you're renting equipment somebody's making money off of that but i think by and large i think what they're more concerned of is long-term profit so it's it's more of it. It's not something that you can theatrically release, you know, and charge the public to go and see, you know. Yeah. It, it it it's not something that you can necessarily submit to a festival that has a windfall of a grand prize of you know thirty thousand dollars and you and you win. Uh, now, are there fan films that might kind of just do that anyway and hope nobody notices? Sure, but that is generally, I think, what they're talking about is that. It's not necessarily the upfront budget per se that they're more concerned about, although technically they, they could they could be like, yeah, yeah, you know, we don't want that. I think it's more long term profit. It's that it, it can't it can't make money long term, you know, and uh, yeah, but it, 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 in sort of an official capacity. And and uh, that that I think is what they're more concerned about. And I think although you certainly can make a feature length fan film, I think they generally like it more when it's short film. Uh, because that also is a, you know, an obvious, you know, differentiation between something that's official and something that might be tribute related. Um, so I think they, you know, it's in people's most best interest that if you're going to do something that is owned by one of these big guys to to maybe keep it short, you know, 25, 30 minutes, you know, don't venture into two hour territory. Um so yeah, so so I I agree with Vince. I think I think at the end of the day, it's it's more that long term longevity profit that they just don't want to see, and rightly so. I mean, I mean, rightly so. It, you you don't own it, buddy. <laughs> you know. So I mean, I get it. I get it. One hundred percent. Yeah, and then and then to go to your point that there really isn't an example, and you might have more knowledge on this than I do, but there's there's nothing that comes to mind of let's say a production company looking at someone. We'll use you as an example. Someone who is clearly 100% passionate about this. You live, breathe this IP. There, there really isn't an example yet of a studio reaching out to someone like yourself and saying, hey, look, come on board our project as a consultant, as a, 
as a, uh, you know, someone that we can turn to and, and, and really try to uh, deliver something that the fans will 100% appreciate that we know it's, it, it's going to give us the, the best possible chance of success here. Yeah, uh, no, they're, they're, they're not to my knowledge. Uh, there hasn't been an example of that. And I think there's a, a variety of reasons for that. I think the number one reason being level of experience. And although uh, I, I, I think it's important that when you are dealing with multi millions of dollars, uh, you know, you are logically uh, going to want to rely on people that have proven track records and people that you already know, that you're comfortable with, um, and that you feel is going to give you the best probability of success in terms of your bottom line. Um, but that doesn't mean that, look, talent is talent. Uh, it, w- w- I mean, look, it's entirely possible that the likes of Blumhouse or A24 or Paramount or whoever might have, you know, behind closed doors been like, fuck, man, we'd love to reach out to these guys. But they, they don't say anything. They don't do it publicly. Um, and, and that's one of the big reasons is there's a level of, you know, provability that, that, that still needs to sort of take place. Also, too, I think it's important to keep in mind that they don't want to necessarily set unrealistic expectations by doing that and opening the floodgates. Now, oh, my God, did you see? Did you see? Oh, my God. And now everybody and their uncle is going to think that that's all you need to do to get noticed by the studios um, and and also to get noticed you know, by using their IP. Uh, I think that's something, you know, it's maybe not something they want to sort of, um, sort of give the wrong impression to. Also too, I think it's important that David Sandberg, who's the director of Shazam and Lights Out, I mean, he created his own original short film. What was it like 10 something years ago called Lights Out. It's that little short film that's only about two minutes long. And now he's, directing major multi-million dollar motion pictures in Hollywood. They take notice. I mean, they, they certainly, he was able to do the feature length version of his short film. Now I haven't seen it. I don't know if it's good or not, but, but certainly he was able to, to, to see that, but that's an original uh, character, original IP, original, I mean, not original, original, obviously, but I mean, it, it was his own. Okay. I yeah. think, yep. yeah, I, I think what eventually, uh, and certainly he, he was able to make connections and talk to people and work his way up and blah, blah, blah. I think, though, the main reason has to do with the perception as well. Um, I think, by and large, fan films uh, and Vincent DeSante is, uh, again, I'm not saying he's the only one that, ha- that has a great production value in terms of a fan film but when he released never hike alone in 2017 that was i think it was 2017 that was sort of that showed you what fan films could be in terms of the level of their production value and but when you watch the making of never hike alone he's not making he's making a fan film in terms of title but when you watch the process of what he's going through the process of what cecil is going through now the process of what I am going through now in terms of it's me, Billy. We're making movies. We're not. I mean, they're fan films because of their IP, but they're full length movies. We're going through the development, the you know, the production. And thankfully, all of us essentially work in you know the um, 
film industry and the entertainment industry. So we know that process and how it's done. We know that there's a process to things. We know that there's a script and a shot list and, you know, a this list and a that list. And we have to do this before we do that. And then we got to do that before we do this. And we have to, and then we got to roll this out. And then we have to, I mean, that's what he did with Never Hike Alone. I mean, it was a process. It's independent filmmaking. But when you watch his documentary, he's making a fucking movie. That's what he's doing. So I think that fan films, there's a connotation around fan films, right? You, you, you hear fan film. And by and large, most fan films, most now, not all, but most fan films, because we're just starting to change the culture of it, most fan films are after school backyard productions, right? From kids with, you know, their phones and their video cameras and their shit. That's generally what fan films are. And they're poorly edited and the sound is shitty. And, you know, because for years, that's what they were. Well, now over the last four or five years, the culture is beginning to change. And the level of authenticity and credibility that, I mean, they're, they're, they're fan films in name only. But when you watch them, you're like, dude, this is, this is a fucking movie. This is clearly a fucking movie. You know, and that I think is part of, I think if, if, but see, it's a tricky thing because the studios don't want to necessarily, you know, you're playing with their stuff essentially for free. And so it's kind of a catch 22. It's like, you know, they're seeing the culture. I, I think if the culture were to change, if the culture were to change where fan films are then being utilized by the studios and maybe even paid by the studios as marketing tools, you know, then I think you, you're, you're going to see, I don't think they're going to, I don't think they're ready to do that yet. I don't think they want to spend that money yet because I think they'd rather spend money on actually making the real thing. Right. But I think maybe they use them as marketing tools. Maybe they dish out 30, $40,000 to, to, you know, and, and maybe they're used that way. I, I don't know. It's just, it's, it's, it's the culture of what fan films are right now. I think the studios just kind of want to stay away from it because of the connotation around it. But if people like Vince and Cecil and, you know, myself can, can help to change that culture, you never know. I don't know. Did, it, 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 did that answer that? I hope I did. I know it was a little, Long-winded there, but I, I think that's generally why there's some adverse reaction to to approaching talent when it comes to fan films. No, you definitely answered it, and I think uh, I think you might be onto something. Where you know you look back on this uh, particular discussion, maybe even ten or not even ten, five years from now, and maybe the you know, like you said, maybe things shift. Maybe maybe they will go in that direction, and I think you know. Uh, they need to because you look at something like the reception to Halloween 2018 and it really did divide the, 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 the fan community, not just on the fact of what the story itself is, where it's eliminating every sequel after the first one. So that automatically divides people there. But, you know, it also uh, just when you watch the movie, it pleased some people. And then like yourself, it didn't necessarily please them all the way through where you looked at it and you were like, I don't know if that's necessarily my true Halloween too, because I know what to you Halloween 2018 is not the real Halloween too. Right. Yeah. Well, you see the, the, the big, like you certainly don't want fan films to be bought and see, see sort of piggybacking on what I was just saying, but it's totally uh, related to what you were just saying is that, you know, I was saying that, you know, maybe the studios, they they buy into the fan films and they use fan films as part of their, you know, 
um, marketing sort of on an official level. But the problem with that is that what, the reason why fan films generally are, uh, you know, if they're done well, the fans generally love it is because we're not doing it for profit. So we're purely doing it for the fans. We're purely doing it for the, the imagine this, you know, the right way, what, what fans, but when you get to the studio system, that doesn't mean that, that, that they can't, won't, and haven't done that in the past. Sure. There've been great examples of great sequels and things that fans wanted to see that, that they do end up seeing, but because you're dealing in a multi billion trillion dollar industry, you know, it really is about the bottom line and you have studio executives for the most part that don't have an ounce of talent in them and all they care about is the money in the bottom line and and rightly so i mean i get it it's a it's a business and they want to be able to do what's best for them from a business they look at the market they look at the the you know the trends they look at trends you know ah you know what we need more supernatural movies get more supernatural movies I mean, that's what they do. You know, they look at the trends. They look at the, you know, what's what's making, you know, what's making money, how the opening weekends are going, how the, they look at all that. And that's not something that a filmmaker who is just doing it for the love of the property or the art or the passion is thinking about, you know. And the reason why we can do what we can do with It's Me, Billy, or, or uh, I, I, well, I mean, even, even um, uh, what Cecil's doing with Dylan's new Nightmare. I mean, you think the studio would do a sequel to New Nightmare? They'd never do a sequel to New Nightmare. Why? Because there isn't the demand there, you know, in, in terms of the market, right? In terms of the money, it's just not, it's not there, you know? But then Cecil's like, that's, you know, it's my favorite sequel. I want to do that. I want to do this. I got Miko. I got it. And all of a sudden it becomes a reality because he's not doing it for the money. And um, so in some ways it's a catch-22. Like you, it would be really cool if the studios were able to get on board officially in some sort of capacity. But at the same time, you don't want them now intervening in fan films, you know, because then what, what would fan films become then? You know, would they become just, you know, uh, marketing tools for the movie that's coming out? So you have to do a story around what's already there or would they become purely just what they are? Um, it's hard to say it's, it's, it's hard to say it's, it's, uh, um, but that's why there's so much love for really good fan films because they are purely for the fans. Exactly. Exactly. And then of course you have to look into the idea that even if you were to come on board, even if Dave McRae was to go to the set of Halloween kills and Halloween ends, there's people that love you but that probably don't necessarily agree with the way you view the halloween franchise and now you're going to be putting your thoughts into that particular project which you know when it like when it comes out and all is said and done a fan goes to see it and they're like hmm i don't know i you know what i mean you cannot please every single fan it's impossible it's impossible um, oh it is it's it's absolutely impossible and and you know, no, I mean, look, I mean, do I think that there are people that have worked on Halloween, you know, um, 2018 and Halloween Kills that uh, watch me? Uh, yes, I do. And I know that because they've reached out to me. Uh, some of the extras that have, you know, worked on the set, some of the PAs that have, you know, worked on the set have gotten in touch with me saying, hey, man, you know, love your stuff, blah, blah, blah. Um, do I think Jason Blum watches me? Probably not. 
Do I think Ryan Turek watches me? Maybe not, but maybe they do. I've had people reach out to me that have nothing to do with the Halloween um, franchise that work in various parts of the industry that I was surprised that watch me. So uh, who knows? And but everybody, but I know I'm an, I can be an acquired taste, right? I can be blunt. I can be honest because I'm passionate about what I'm talking about. And it's just because I just want, you know, I'm passionate. But sometimes people can read into that and think I'm an arrogant, self-centered, egotistical, pompous prick. And certainly I can understand what, why they might perceive that. But if they were to watch me on a regular basis, they would see that it's, it's you know, I, I can be, <laughs> it's sort of part of, it, it's not that it's not genuine, but it's sort of, it, it's kind of part of my shtick. You know, it's, it's me being blunt and honest and telling it like it is and how I feel is because I don't want there to be any unrealistic expectations when you're watching me. I don't want to give people the wrong impression. I don't want people, so when I say, you know, I say something, look, I could say, well, I just don't like that movie. But how do I say it? I, I say it's a fucking piece of dog shit. You know what I mean? And, and that can sometimes rug people the wrong way. You know, they're like, wow, he said it. You know, why can't you just say it's, 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 it's not a good movie? Well, because I think it's dog shit. <laughs> you know, and sometimes if depending on the kind of person you are and the personality you are, that can be very sort of, you know, they uh, sort um, 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 intrusive and, and, and sort of, you know, kind of like loud and, you know, but I don't mean to be, I just want, I don't want there to be any unrealistic expectations of how I operate. So it's entirely possible that many of the people who work on those films also don't like me. They, they think, well, he's just some guy that just doesn't, you know, and then there are some people that might. So, uh, you know, I've often said that if Blumhouse is aware of me and they know who I am, if they ever invited me to the set, they'd probably want to kill me in a scene and kill me violently and brutal with lots of blood and lots of gore. They'd want my head stepped on like Dr. Sartain. That's what they would do. That's what they would do. Totally. To make a point. Fuck you, McCray. You know, but you know what? Like, I, I don't hate the people at, you know, um, Blumhouse. I don't hate I don't hate David Gordon Green or Danny McBride or, you know, um, Jason Blum or Ryan Turk. And I don't listen, making movies is tough, man. And I've said yeah. this many times. Look, I, I give them tough love because I care. You know, I say, listen, I don't agree with that creative decision. I think it's dog shit because I care. <laughs> because I care. Because I care. But it's not personal. I don't hate them. They're they're incredibly talented. They're making Hollywood movies, man. I'm not making Hollywood movies. They're making Hollywood movies. And and that, you know, for better or worse, they're doing it. They're living the dream, man. They're doing it. And, and I, I just want people to know that it's, it's, I, I respect what they do at even the, even the movies and the choices I don't agree with. I respect it because making movies is tough. It ain't easy. And nobody sets out to make a movie that you're not David Gordon green. Didn't set out to make a movie with choices to piss people off. They made a movie that they thought would resonate with fans and they hoped that it would resonate with more fans than not. And you know, that's just, that's, you know, my hat goes off to them, man. It's just some of the choices I didn't agree with, you know, but part of my, my channel and part of my show and my shtick and my character is to be blunt and honest. And it's not that it's, I'm lying. It's not that I'm forcing myself to do it. You know, it is genuine, but I, I just don't want there to be any sort of discrepancies in terms of, you know, any, uh, loopholes into, into how I feel because, you know, as you know, Eddie, I mean, with people online, they, they can twist your words. They can, they can, you know, if you're not, if you're not, um, uh, uh, um, you know, uh, if you're not, um, what's the word? If you're not, um, sort of 
blunt, I guess, in some ways. People can sort of take your words and, and, and get them to mean something else because there's so much lack of nuance, you know? And, and, and it's not like I'm like that all the time. I mean, I, I think that's part of my persona, but, it, you know, I certainly can, can not, you know, I certainly can be calm, cool, and, and cuddly too. So, uh, you know, that's important. <laughs> well, if you were to ever... If you were to ever get uh, David Gordon Green or Danny McBride in person, like on a like a live stream, would you oh, would you it. be would you be a hundred percent real with them though, or would you kind of work your way around, you know, your your true feelings towards their creative decisions, or would you call them out on it? Well, no. Look, I, I would be a hundred percent real, but you see, when you are talking in a professional environment with somebody you don't know. Right. See, I can say I think this is dog shit. That's dog shit. This is dog shit because I'm on my channel. Right. And I'm talking to the ether. Now I'm talking to viewers, but I'm doing a show. Right. So I can in, in my environment, in my house, I can be as opinionated as I want to be. When you are in a professional environment speaking to other professionals, there is a right way and a wrong way to go about it. I certainly wouldn't say to David Gordon Green that, David Gordon Green, I thought that fucking scene was dog shit. I wouldn't say that to him because A, it's unprofessional, and B, I don't know the man, and that's why it is unprofessional to say that. But what I would say is I would say, I don't agree with that creative choice. That's a creative choice I don't agree with. You know, and that is, that's the way that you approach those types of um, situations. And David Gordon Green, I mean, if, he, if he's the, the professional that I assume he is, he would, he would want that. He would encourage that, right? It's not what you say, it's how you say it. In my own space, I'm lots of peanut butter out, but I'm being satirical, right? I'm, 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 I'm being extreme to make a point. I don't think everything in Halloween 5 is dog shit. You know, I don't think you know, peanut butter on my penis, you know, I might say, I, that's fucking dog shit. But really at the end of the day, if I was to sit down and think about it and lay it out, it might not fall into the category of dog shit. You know, there might be other examples of dog shit that are better. Right. But it's, it's the kind of thing that I, I, it's part of, it's part of who I am. It's, it's making those blunt sort of, you know, uh, statements to so people know that hey man you know I'm being real with you here right I'm totally I, you're not going to get any well you know no no I'm being real but in a professional environment whether I was in a room with David Gordon Green or whether I was on the phone or whether he was on my show whatever the case is there is a professional way to go about it because he's earned that respect he's a professional filmmaker working at the Hollywood level. And I would say to him, now he, he might say, uh, come on, man, I know you think it's dog shit. And we might have a laugh about that, right? I mean, sometimes that might happen. Like, oh, you know, I'm just saying, Dave, I'm just saying. And you kind of have a laugh about that, right? But it's, it's the, hopefully people are wise enough to know that it's my way, it's my way. It's, 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 it's just my personality, right? You know, and, but yeah, in that kind of environment, I mean, I don't know the man. And, but I wouldn't shy away I mean, I certainly wouldn't say I love peanut butter on my penis when I don't, right? I mean, I would, I would clearly say to him, I don't think that was necessary. You know, I don't think him saying penis is necessary. I think maybe, maybe pants, maybe, ah, damn, I got peanut butter on myself, you know, or something like that, right? And, and then see what he says. There's a, there's a right way and a wrong way to engage uh, on a professional level. So, uh, but, but I certainly wouldn't pretend that I like something that I didn't. Yeah, well, 
Absolutely. And in real life, not even in the movie, in real life, you don't like peanut butter on your penis. That's just not something that... That's that, it. That, I'm that, telling you. That you want to happen. It's, it's just... <laughs> just you you, you don't want hell? that happening. You don't. I mean, who the hell wants peanut butter on their penis? I mean, I just... I mean, maybe in some sort of funky situation. But, I mean, generally speaking... And then you got to find... You know, is it Skippy peanut butter? Right? Is it Jif peanut butter? Is it crunchy peanut butter? Is it smooth peanut butter? Is it natural peanut butter? I mean, there's so many... You know, what kind of peanut butter is on your penis here? I mean, that's really the question here. <laughs> that is. Is it gluten-free? That's the... Right. That's... <laughs> right. Right. Exactly. See, Eddie, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. I'm, I'm picking up what you're putting down. Um, <laughs> no, look, I love your personality. I think that it's, like you said, it is an acquired taste. Trust me, I've been on those. I've been watching your streams and I've seen the people that don't agree with your personality and and, uh, you know, it's unfortunate that, you know, you can disagree, but it's unfortunate to the degree that some people disagree. Um, yeah, it's, you know, it's, I, I take it in stride. I mean, you, you can't put yourself out there and, you know, don't ever put yourself out there hope or looking to be liked because uh, that's not why you should put yourself out there. And I think it's, I, I just needed to talk about Halloween and I was going to talk about it in my Dave McRae way, you know, fucking dog shit. Oh, what the fuck? You know, whatever it is. I mean, that's just, that's just me, right? I'm, I'm just, that's my personality. You know, you come for the information, you stay for the show, you know, whatever the case is. And, and, but at the end of the day, I, I knew that, that people were going to love it and some people were not going to like it. And that, that's just the reality, but I can't sell out and be somebody I'm not. As long as I am not, you know, I would never be, I mean, I certainly, and it's never personal. That's the thing too, right? Like, you know what? I mean, I remember early on in my YouTube Dave McRae sort of Halloween days, which is only, you know what, two years ago, I guess. But very early on, there were moments when people used to, not everybody, I mean, most people I think got what I was doing. But now it's become sort of a Dave McRae staple where I'm like, you know, uh, let's go, come on, McRae, you know, doing the, the nerdy, you know, uh, sweaty fanboy. And, and I'm a nerdy sweaty fanboy too so I'm, I'm sort of like you know i fall into that category so i'm not i'm not you know making fun of you know anybody in particular but i remember early on people there were some people that got really offended by that and there was this guy who i haven't seen in in well i guess in two years i guess he he was so offended he left but he was a regular viewer and he i forget his 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 uh channel name but he said that uh he was so offended by my my uh insinuation that that's what they you know, sound like that, you know, he was like, you know, I thought you were, you know, um, higher than that, better than that. And I responded to him and I said, I'm sorry you feel that way, but I hope you know that I'm not imitating you. I mean, I'm not imitating somebody specifically. It's, it's like a cartoon. It's, it's, it's a satirical, like, you know, satire political cartoon that you see. I mean, the, the feature, like if, you know, if you were to watch a, or, or to, you know, look at a, satire political cartoon of obama or trump or you know whatever the features are, are always exaggerated right they're always exaggerated they're always you know big big nose big head you know whatever the, because that's that's the satire that's that's what makes it funny is that it's there there's truth in that but they are taking it to the extreme to make a point and that's what i do on my channel a lot is I take things to the extreme into the satire cartoon area to make a point. And, uh, you know, but very early on, there were a lot of people that didn't like it, didn't get it. 
And but I think most people now have sort of settled into a comfort zone with me. They know what to expect. And I'm just I'm just I'm just having fun. You know, I'm not picking anybody out specifically, but there there is it can be an acquired taste. And if you are a more introverted sort of person that doesn't like that kind of loud thing, um, I might not be for you. And there are a lot of people that are like that. But certainly, you know, I want people to know that I, I'm I'm it's I'm I'm being satirical. You know, I'm I'm being that cartoon that you see. I'm, I'm not being personal, you know, in that sense, because I, in, in some ways I'm making fun of myself, too. I mean, listen, I, I nerdgasm over this the same shit. So, you know, I mean, if anything, I'm doing an imitation of me, for Christ's sakes, you know. So uh, but yeah, it can be, never do this to be like you, you, you do it. You put yourself out there. You be yourself and you let the chips fall where they may. And as long as you're not being, you know, racist or rude or, 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 you know, you know, yeah, you just, you, you just be yourself and, and just, yeah, see, see what happens. Right. Yeah. That's uh, that's the, that's the gamble of life. And mm -hmm. I think you, uh, I think you're doing pretty damn well for yourself. And I've, I've kept you long enough and I uh, really, really do appreciate you coming on here. I feel like we, you know, we touched on the stuff that people that, 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 that follow you expect to hear you talk about. And then we went off and, and we talked about colonoscopies and uh... <laughs> that's right. That's right. Well, I, you know what? I, I appreciate it. Uh, Eddie, I appreciate the support to the channel. I appreciate you uh, inviting me on here onto the show. Uh, finally, we were able to connect, which is, which is just awesome. And uh, yeah, I'm totally down for doing this again in the future and maybe, and maybe doing it with Tony as well. I mean, I think, I think that would be uh, that, that would be a lot of fun. This has been a blast. So I really do. Uh, I, uh, I appreciate it. Absolutely. Yeah. I want to definitely uh, get you and Tony on here and we'll, uh, we'll do a, you know, see where two dudes and some bullshit is at, at that point. So. <laughs> That's right. That's right. It'll be some, it, yes. The two dudes and some bullshit will be uh, three dudes and some feces, I think is what, <laughs> is what that podcast will be. <laughs> All right. I, uh, you know, like I said, I appreciate it. And everybody uh, go check out Dave's channel. All the information is going to be in the show notes and, uh, I hope you have a great day, man. I I think it's what really cold where you are right now. Uh, yeah, it is. Uh, we're in the same time zone. It's it's almost two o'clock p.m. here Eastern time. The uh, temperature right now is uh, it is minus seven degrees Celsius. Now that's Celsius now, not Fahrenheit, because we in Canada go by Celsius. So whatever minus seven degrees is in Fahrenheit. That's what it is. We just got a big dumping of snow here. We are in our winter, so uh, our spring doesn't uh, hit till about April. So, um, uh, okay. yeah, in the throes of winter right now. Yeah, I am in sunny Orlando, Florida. It's uh, 65 degrees. So. You son of a bitch. You <laughs> son of... God damn it, Eddie! Uh, I haven't been to Orlando in years. I think the last time I was in Florida was 20-something years ago, and it was for a vacation to Disney World. So... Uh, but yeah, I love it. It's a, that, that's a great part of, uh, the U S you're very lucky to live in Orlando, my man. Uh, I don't know. I, 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 I do miss the fact that we don't necessarily experience a true winter. Uh, <laughs> it's definitely upsetting. Like when I see pictures, like I think Tony actually just put something up on his Instagram where it's like a snow day in Georgia. And it's like, that's one state away. How is that possible? <laughs> I know that's insane. That's in, it's crazy, man. It's crazy where some of the places down there get snow. I mean, it doesn't usually, you know, stay, but certainly to get a dumping in Arizona or Georgia is not unprecedented. So that's 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 crazy.
Yeah. But hey, it is what it is. So enjoy your day and uh, I'll let you know when this uh, episode goes live. And uh, if you want to share it around, be my guest. If you don't, I don't care. I just love no, having we'll you on, do, man. man. Will do. Just uh, let me know and I will definitely share it. Thanks very much, Eddie. I really appreciate it. All right. Talk to you later. Okay. Cheers.